Good morning, friends. We are, um, as Karen read, um, continuing in the book of Ruth. And uh, I'm so grateful um, for this little book in the Old Testament, which sometimes you might uh, think just a little story uh, tucked away in the Old Testament, um, maybe not that significant. And, uh, you know, after all, it's a little love story. You know, it might be appealing and interesting to read once, maybe. But do you, uh, you will totally miss the grandeur of this story if you don't see it in context. And we've talked about that, right? Um, this story happens at the time of the judges. We talked about that, a time where um, there was just a lot of, uh, what's the word, um, chaos and a lack of godliness and uh, evil being rampant. And then this story comes in with just a few characters, right? And it really sets the stage for a great, great redemption. So let me advise you, if you haven't read Ruth at home on your own or with the kids, I would encourage you to read it again and again because there is such deep theology in this book. There's so much that comes out, the more you read it, the more you talk about it, as you begin to see pictures unfold. So I encourage you uh, with that first. Um, we are going to do a two-part uh, to this sermon. It's going to be this week and next week to camp in chapter 2 for a little while. And so let me um, give you a few thoughts to hang our ideas, our thoughts on uh, for today, the first is the Lord is working through all the details. Big and small, the Lord is working through all the details. Secondly, Boaz was different. And do you know, as believers, we are called to be different. I'll unfold that a little bit. Thirdly, Boaz became an instrument in the Redeemer's hands and is a lovely picture of Jesus for us. I don't know if you've already um, had that in your mind. You probably have if you've read Ruth or heard other sermons on the book of Ruth. But Boaz is a, is a tremendous figure in this story for us. Let me, let me begin by asking you a question and then we'll pray, okay? Um, you know, redemption is a powerful key theme in this book, right? It, to be redeemed. Jeff um, is the one who came up with that, uh, the, the original series title, you know, Our Kinsman Redeemer, which is the theme of the book. But that idea of redemption is powerful, isn't it? Let me ask you a question, right where you are right now, in your seats. We all come with stuff, hard stuff, baggage, concerns, fears, doubts. Let me ask you this question. Do you need to be rescued? Do you need to be saved? Do you need to be pulled from something right now with the stuff that's going on in your lives individually? That you know you can't do it on your own. You know, I, I think that's why they keep making movies like The Avengers. In all these superhero movies, you ever wonder why is it like, why doesn't that popularity end to superhero movies? Well, it's probably because we all know deep down we need to be saved. 
You guys who are old enough remember the Christopher Reeves Superman movies, right? Some of you, I know, you older guys. Younger guys, younger people, please watch the old Superman movies. There's this great line where uh, Lois Lane's falling, right? And Superman, Christopher Reeves says, don't worry, I've got you. And she says, you've got me? Who's got you? But superheroes fail and have limits. We need someone bigger than human superheroes. Because we all need rescuing, even today, at this moment. And the Lord, through His Word, shows us again and again, I am here, and I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to rescue you better than your mom, your dad, your friends, better than any superhero. I am your Redeemer to ultimate fulfillment. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank You for this passage. Lord, um, help us to begin to see the beauty that is here of redemption and to see the pictures unfold in front of our eyes through Your Holy Spirit. My prayer for my own little ones and my own heart uh, for everyone in this room is that You would give us eyes to see Your Son Jesus, the ultimate Savior, Redeemer, Rescuer, and Friend. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I heard this story from uh, evangelist Ron Hutchcraft. My dad used to listen to Christian radio when he used to drive us to school. And Ron Hutchcraft was a guy who was on syndicated uh, um, you know, ra- Christian radio when I was little. He's, he's probably quite old now. But Ron talks of this uh, story which, uh, you know, in later years I began to realize it may not be, there's, who, who knows, it's completely true. It's, it's a popular story that had come up. A gathering of friends at an English estate nearly turned to tragedy when one of the children strayed into deep water. The gardener heard the cries for help, plunged in and rescued the drowning child. That youngster's name was Winston Churchill. His grateful parents asked the gardener if they could do something or what they could do to reward him. He hesitated, then said, You know, I wish my son could go to college someday because I would like for him to become a doctor. We'll see to it, Churchill's parents promised. Years later, while Sir Winston was Prime Minister of England, he was stricken with a a terrible illness. Some say it was pneumonia. The country's best physician was summoned, and his name was Dr. Alexander Fleming, the man who discovered and developed penicillin. He was also the son of that gardener, who had saved young Winston from drowning. Later, Churchill remarked, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. Uh, I don't actually know if the story is completely true. It's gone around a lot since Churchill has passed away and and, uh, through many who knew him. But I was thinking a lot about that. Owing your life twice. I was thinking about me. I was thinking about spiritual redemption. I was thinking, one, I am grateful to the Lord every day for creating me and giving me life. I had a rescue at birth. I don't know if I've ever shared that testimony. Everyone had given up on me because I stopped breathing. And even the doctors in Mumbai, India, where I was born, they said, it's hopeless. Just go ahead and pray to your God. Maybe something will happen. Well, somehow the Lord gave life back to me. 
And that I'm always aware that the Lord gave me life right at the beginning. And so I'm grateful for that. And the second thing is that He rescued me again because of the cross. I owe my life twice. It's not a small thing. Do you need to be rescued? Do you need to be redeemed? Do you need pulling from something? And you've turned to people and they have failed you and superheroes aren't enough? Well, I want to tell you again, the Lord is the one. He's going to redeem you and save you fully. He is our rescuer. He is our Savior. Ruth um, chapter 2 is about the beginnings of a picture of a Redeemer. And that's in this man named Boaz. And you know, you've heard that name Boaz. I've often wondered, why don't people name their sons Boaz? It's a good name. Now you'll say, well, why didn't you? I don't know. Maybe it sounds weird, you know. Um, Judah sounded better than Boaz, you know. I don't know. But Boaz is such a powerful image and person in the Bible, isn't he? Um, the context is, as, as uh, Karen read for us, um, Ruth is now uh, in Bethlehem after coming back to this place with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who is from Bethlehem because her husband, Elimelech, was from Bethlehem. And, uh, and, and Ruth sees what's going on, right? They, they're impoverished. They're poor. They're widows. They don't have husbands or fathers and they need to, to, to work, to earn a living. And Ruth suggests that she would go and glean in the fields. And we'll come to that. In a, in a little bit here. But um, in the midst of that, a man enters the scene and his name is Boaz. And I will tell you, as I said at the beginning, Boaz is the one who at the end of the story fully redeems his family, gives them life again, gives them food again, gives them a family. And so much so that Boaz marries Ruth and provides a son who becomes the redeemer for Elimelech, Naomi's husband who had died, and Naomi's sons who had died. So Boaz is a type of Christ for us. And we have pictured for us the redemption that Jesus would accomplish for His people. I know this sounds like a spoiler alert, but you, most of you know this story. That's who Boaz is. Recognize it for as powerful a character as He is. They were hopeless. They were destitute from a cursed race of people, foreigners, having nothing to hope in except perhaps mercy from someone. And the Lord is working in all the details. Have you ever wondered, so why doesn't Boaz uh, ultimately, and we're going to come into this, Pastor Jeff's going to go into chapter 3 and we get into chapter 4 and the climax. So why doesn't Boaz marry Naomi? Have you ever wondered that? Well, Naomi was married. Her husband died, but she did have sons. And so it could be that Boaz is redeeming the widow who did not have children. You know, there is a period there where they're living together in Moab and there's no children. Both sons have no sons. 
there's whatever going on, there, there, there's, no, there's no offspring. And there's probably heartache even through that. And so Boaz eventually takes Ruth and marries her and then provides a son that becomes the son of Naomi and Elimelech in many ways and continues the family lane, almost selflessly giving up his right to be the father and the heir and saying, no, this is the heir for my kinsman uh, Elimelech. So don't miss what God is doing here. Do you remember my first point? The Lord is working through all the details. Do you ever wonder that God has forgotten you and, and maybe you need to bring it back to His attention and, and hey, has gotten, uh, has God been forgetting little old me while He's paying attention to everyone else? Right at this moment in a thousand ways, the Lord is working in the details in your life. Right now, friends. Those who love the Lord, He has you. As Psalm 32 says, He is watching over you with His own eye and instructing you in the way that you should go. Um, do you think it was random that Naomi and Ruth return and they come to Bethlehem because of a famine at the beginning of barley harvest? Don't let that be lost on you. <laughs> they are coming as harvest is uh, taking place, as barley harvest is taking place. God is really setting them up, isn't He? For redemption and success. And, and uh, I want to tell you, as you think through this story, I want you to contemplate how similar to Ruth we are. Okay? I want you to think how similar to Ruth we are as outsiders coming to the Lord as foreigners, as aliens who do not want God and we're, we're, we're you know, running away from Him and, and the Lord very lovingly shows His kindness. Let me go to point two. Boaz was different. Ruth 2, 1-4, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. Do you know that word, a worthy man, has this sense of a knight? Now, we don't have knights now, but they used to be just grand figures, aren't they? Strong, tall, right? Uh, with armor, they're the ones who are going to rescue, who care for the defenseless, um, who care for the, you know, uh, um, uh, justice taking place. And Boaz is in so many ways a valiant knight who looks out for his people, his servants. We know from the relationship that they respected him, his workers, and he respected them and loved them and provided for them. And ultimately what he does for Ruth, he is a type of valiant knight who comes onto the scene. And he was different. Um, let me say it this way. Um, Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus talk, Leviticus 25, I'm giving you those references if you want to go back to that. Deuteronomy 25 and also Leviticus 25 talk about the responsibility of family members to come to the rescue for someone who was downtrodden or, or had come to hard times. If a wife was left as a widow, she was to be cared for by the dead husband's brother. 
They were even have children, so the family name would continue. If land was sold during a crisis, it was to be bought back by family members. And these acts were to be voluntary by the next of kin. They were supposed to be done. That's what God intended. Step up for your family member and redeem the situation. If they don't have money to take care of themselves and they need to sell land, buy the land from them and give them the money so they can buy food, but then ultimately give the land back. Because you're a kinsman, you're a family member, you want it to stay in the family. And so, to fail to redeem a widow or an orphan was looked upon with great shame. And so let me put it this way. How is Boaz different? When all others failed, Boaz did the right thing. You know, there's just other, other family members perhaps. In fact, we know from the later part of the story, there's another one who was actually a closer kinsman redeemer who was supposed to do this. And, and we're gonna unfold that further when we get to that. But we see that that one actually was all originally willing to buy the land until it came to the fact that they had to marry someone and then provide an heir that would not be theirs. And how it could mess up maybe their own family. Maybe his wife didn't like the idea. My wife wouldn't like the idea. Right? So there's some tension going on there. Um, and, and he ultimately says, no, no, I can't do it. I can't jeopardize my own family's well-being and inheritance. And so he gives up the right. And Boaz did what others would not do. He did the right thing. You know, why do I bring that up? Boaz, why, that Boaz was different and we are called to be different. When the Lord takes a hold of your heart, and then when the Lord redeems you, when the Lord saves you, we are on a call in a mission to do what the Lord wants us to do instead of what we want to do. Hey, we're all selfish, right? I want to protect me. I want to protect my house. I want to protect my wife, my children. And very rarely would we um, really put all of that in harm's way Unless you realize just what the Lord's done for you. Unless you realize the depth of God's rescue of you. Unless you're broken inside and say, Lord, while I was a foreigner, while I didn't deserve it, you rescued me and I want to now be the hands and feet of you, O oh Lord, towards others. Think of the context. Jeff has talked about this and I've brought this up as well. During the time of the judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What could Boaz have done? Right? When this woman came, Boaz could have said, yep, let her work if she wants to. If she does good work, keep her. If not, just let her go. We have other workers. We didn't go looking for her. She came looking for us. Right? But then there was someone who cared what the Lord said, cared about what the Lord said. And in a time when rebellion and idol worship was flourishing, there is a man who was obedient to the Lord. And you know what? He just started shining bright in that moment and in that community as he looks upon this poor young woman. We get a sense that 
He is well respected. Do you remember how uh, in the story uh, he comes to, say, to, to, to them and he says, uh, the Lord be with you. And how do they answer back? The Lord bless you. There is a relationship with him and his workers. Here's just a side point, but how are you when you're at work? Oh, it's good to be easy to be Christ-like here at church, right? But how about when you're out there? What kind of reputation do you have at your job, in your neighborhoods, and with people who do not know the Lord as you do business with work, uh, uh, co-workers or vendors or whatever, right? Um, you see something different about this man. This is the picture we get of Boaz, that he is a man who has a good, good reputation with outsiders. By the way, sort of like the requirements for being a spiritual leader in the New Testament. He has a good standing with outsiders that they cannot point a finger at him for being a man who does not have integrity or so forth. This is um, tremendous. How brightly Boaz shined in a day and a time when there was rebellion. So, Boaz is a valiant knight at God's table. He loves God. He loves His Word. He loves His people. He's a wealthy man. He's important. He's influential. He's generous. And he is kind as he takes notice of Ruth. He was different. He obeyed the Lord's Word. Part of the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing this is because, you know, we have a call to be such as His children. Do you take notice of those around you or you just walk by them? Do you see the hurting? Do you listen for it? Do you notice? Do you see how um, Boaz says to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to, the, to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? He noticed. He noticed. He noticed this poor young woman, this foreigner. And I, I wonder if we have that kind of heart because we know what the Lord has done for us, that the Lord has seen us first. And then we can very lovingly see others around us. Don't miss that. Don't miss that God is putting people right in front of you. Right where you live. Right where you work. And the Lord is challenging us. Do you recognize the grace that's been given to you? The love that's been shown to you? And now do you not notice who is right in front of you? I have to share this story. And then, uh, as I said, this I'll share the rest of this sermon next week or continue it. Because Boaz is... Uh, redemption continues through his heart and words 
in the rest of chapter 2. But let me tell you a little story, okay? This is a personal story that I was thinking again the other day. I don't know, it's the Holy Spirit made me think of this dear man. My father grew up in southern India as the son of a farmer. His mother died when he was three. And his father tried to take care of him. But he also had to take care of land. When my dad was 19 years old, he really was at the loss of not having a mother. His aunt moved in and cared a little bit for them, for the three children. And at 19, my dad knew that he had to leave home from the farm of southern India to up north to the city. And so he moved to Mumbai, 19 years old, just barely enough money to get a train ticket. And he got out there and he said, he said, there are days that I slept in the park until I could just make enough to get a flat and share with a couple of guys. And he said, one time, an older gentleman saw him and put his eyes upon him and had compassion on him. Brought him to his home and he fed him. And he started sharing the gospel with him. And from that day on, they would meet in the meadow after work. And we talked to him about the Lord and give him a Bible, which he had when he was a kid. He just never really read it because he grew up in a very orthodox community where the priest did everything. And this man, his name was K.T. Phillips, took him in almost like a son. And because of him, my dad became a true believer. And because of him, my dad joined a church that preached God's Word. And because of him, my dad married a woman who shared the same heart, who also loved the Lord and His Word and met my mom while my mom was in nursing school. And then I was born. My brother was born. And my mom was recruited to the U.S. because the U.S. needed medical personnel. And that's how I came to the U.S. That's how I got to know the Lord. Because there was a man who became a redeemer for my dad and saved his life. And my dad still says, I have no idea why he loved me or took an interest in me. And my years growing up, I called him in our language, Philip Upachin, which means Philip great-granddad. I always thought he was one of my grandfathers. And he passed away at 64, very young. He started a little Christian school in Mumbai. And I share that story because God was working in the details. And he had a Redeemer in place a human redeemer that pointed to a much, much greater redeemer. Changed the course of my family's life. 
And my dad's never let us forget that story. We would go back and visit Philip Uppichin every single time until he passed away. And I kind of think the Lord knew exactly what he was doing and put him in the right place and that path that led to so much more. My brothers and sisters, do you not see that when we are the Lord's, that we have a call to be those kind of people in other people's lives? Maybe there's someone like that right in your life right now that you need to come around, take hold, show love, show compassion, share what's most important, which is the good news of the Gospel. And this is what the Lord begins to do in our lives. Um, Two-parter, right? So I better stop here. And we'll continue next week. But I want to also show you that there is something different about Naomi and Ruth. I mean, I'm sorry, something different about Ruth. While Naomi is still stewing in her bitterness, there's Ruth. Right? Can you see this happening? This, this encounter about to happen? And God's put Boaz there. By the way, you know why Bo- Boaz calls her my daughter? There's probably some 40 years difference between them. That's what many commentators say. About 40 years difference probably between them. Could have been his daughter. But he knew exactly what kinsman redeemer meant. He knew exactly what God had meant when He says, and we'll unfold this a little bit more next week, where He says, don't glean everything, leave some for the sojourner and the widow and the orphan. And Boaz obeyed. And this young woman shows up and God's been preparing his heart and God's been preparing her heart. And here's what Ruth's attitude is like. She's hopeful and she has faith. And God is setting it all up just perfectly. Just perfectly. So as you leave today, I want you to hear, hear this. God has you exactly where He wants you. And there is a greater story happening beyond your story. Because King Jesus is going to save you fully and completely out of your worst fears and concerns. And this story is just there to get us, get us to see, get us, give us eyes to see that. The Lord is working. The Lord is in the details. And we're called to be different. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this time. Lord, would You um, enable us to see more of what You are doing, the, the redemption that You are doing, Lord, the saving that You are doing, and not just so that we would be wealthy and prosperous, but so that we can be the flavor of Jesus to those around us who are hurting as well. Lord, uh, help us in the days ahead to show many people your gospel. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.